Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. continue our journey through the spiritual gifts, and we've uh, done an overview of kind of the motivation gifts out of Romans 12, the ministry gifts out of Ephesians 4, and the manifestation gifts out of 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and 14. And now we're going back through and we're doing kind of a deep dive into each of these gifts. And we're committing this time uh, because we believe it's so important for the church to come into maturity in our walk in Christ. Paul says, for this reason I toil, that you might be mature, you might grow up into Christ. And a key part of that maturity is to come to understand the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and how that power can flow through you into other people. Lives, And, and uh, Paul says this amazing thing in Ephesians. He says that the church is meant to be the manifold wisdom of God displayed to the world. Isn't that amazing? So you guys, right, the church, this people are meant to display in our common life together and in, in our outward life to the world, we're meant to display the manifold wisdom of God. Well, if that's the case, we have to have his power, not ours. We have to be able to have access to the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. We got to possess the fullness of this promise. Jesus says the promised one is coming to you. This promise that God made, he's going to live inside you. So we have to know the Holy Spirit and we have to understand how to walk in his power. And so our desire is that each member of this church would not only know the indwelling spirit through salvation, right, this seal, this guarantee of this future eternity with God, but that they would know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism is just the encounter with Jesus. It's really like encountering the beauty and majesty and glory of Jesus in a way that shifts your entire perspective of yourself, of God, of the world. And that baptism can be marked by many different kinds of things, right? And and I know there's lots of controversies over what comes when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, but but all that matters is when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, when you have an encounter with Jesus in such a powerful way, your life shifts. Your priorities change. Your desires change. And that's what we want. We want people to not just know that they're going to heaven when they die. We want people who become a portal for heaven on earth, to live his way. Jesus' prayer is that your kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. Not that just you would go to heaven when you die, but that your power, your glory, God, your work would come true in our lives. And so that way, we don't just proclaim the gospel, we demonstrate it. 
We demonstrate it in our lives, both in the fruits of the Spirit and in the gifts of the Spirit, that these two things are the same side of one coin, the Holy Spirit, and his desires that we would demonstrate. I love Paul says right in 1 Corinthians, I didn't come to you with wise and eloquent words. I came to you with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And what happens when that that happens? The church begins to, to grow and expand. The kingdom of God starts to expand as people come into an encounter with him. And I don't know how many of you guys are on Twitter or read the news or watch the news. If you watch the news, I'm really praying for you because that's a crazy experience these days. But our generation is desperate. I think they're desperate for people who know Jesus to show up in their lives, to show up at their work, to show up in their neighborhoods, to show up. Romans says this, it says, all of creation is groaning. It's groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. It's groaning for the people of God to take on their identity and to live it out in the world, to glorify him. And I think... um, Our mission in this generation will rise or fall on can you or will you come to know the person of the Holy Spirit? Like, will you come to know him? Will you come to have uh, intimate friendship and walk with him day by day? Because Jesus said, listen, it's better for me to not be here in the flesh. It's better for me to go because I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a guide. I'm going to send you a teacher I'm going to send you someone who will, who will activate that conscience in you, that desire for good that, that went to sleep in us because of sin. I'm going to awaken that thing again inside of you, and it's through his power. And why does that all matter? It matters because the Bible says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage, world as the, uh, wage war as the world does. So if we're not careful, we'll think that we can win the world with the world's weapons with argument and with power and with force. And Paul says, don't try that. We don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we do have, if we'll access them, listen to this, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Isn't that cool? So the the weapons of the Holy Spirit in, in, in the church aren't just defensive weapons. It's not like I'll put a wall up and I'll protect your life. No, no, no. We have power to demolish strongholds because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's what the church is supposed to be. He says again, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're in a spiritual battle, so we have to possess spiritual weapons. Right? We have to possess these things that the New Testament says are available to us. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Right? And, and the sad thing is what we see is we see so many Christians with half of the armor on because part of the armor makes them uncomfortable or they learned it a different way or they don't, I mean, I don't know about that. And it's like no wonder the church feels beat up in these days. Because it's almost like we're fighting a battle with a hand tied behind our back. And God's just like, why did you tie that hand behind your back? I didn't ask you to do that. I want you to fight with both hands. I want you to put on your armor. I want you to learn both the doctrine, this beautiful belief and identity stuff. But I also want you to know me. (laughs) 
I want you to think right, but I also want to give you the power to do the things that I did. Jesus says, greater things will you do than the things you've seen me do. Isn't that amazing? What did Jesus do? He walked around raising people from the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons. He's like, just wait. And if the book of Acts weren't written, we might think that was just like kind of a crazy thing that Jesus said to try to make them feel better <laughs> after he left. But then you, you read the book of Acts, you're like, wow. Like the apostles, their shadow would fall on people and people would get healed. Isn't that awesome? A shadow healer? That's what I'm like. That's the thing I'm praying for. I want to be a shadow healer. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but wouldn't that be awesome? Anyways, okay, so let's, let's get uh, started. Romans 12, if you'll turn there. Romans 12, you've got uh, Bibles in your pews. You can turn there or you can turn on your phone. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern uh, diligently. If it's mercy, let him do it cheerfully. It's awesome that Paul shows this picture of us belonging to each other and us needing each other. He demolishes in this one moment every conception that you can live the Christian life yourself. That a personal relationship with Jesus is enough to carry you through this life. He just says, nope. One man said it this way. He says, uh, the Sermon on the Mount was meant to crush the individual Christian. Because <laughs> it's impossible to do alone right? Like we need him and we need his people. That's the church matters so much if you want to live this way. So we've already covered prophecy, teaching, serving, encouragement. I'd highly encourage you if you haven't heard those uh, messages, go back on iTunes and listen to those. This week we're going to cover the spiritual gift of giving, right? So he said if it's giving, I love it, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. If it's giving, then give generously, now, uh, as we dig into this, I, I, I want to try to parse out a little bit the difference between acts of generosity that, that are obedience and what does the spiritual gift of generosity look like, but, but it's hard to do because these are motivation gifts, right? These aren't the same as like, you can tell somebody who does miracles and somebody who doesn't do miracles. That's pretty clear, right? But it's harder to be like, oh, is that just someone giving generously or is that like the Holy Spirit inspired generosity, right? And sometimes it's just, we won't know. There's some mystery in this, but I'll try to do enough to help you understand. And um, I would love to hear um, all your opinions on email this week, if you'd like to enlighten me more. Glad to do that. Um, but, so, but part of it, though, is, is I want to be careful, because sometimes I think we think that the things we bring from our natural skills or abilities automatically translate to the church. And that's why I think Paul also says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. 
right? Because you might be a teacher in the world, but that doesn't make you a, a spiritually gifted teacher. It just makes you a good teacher, right? But it's funny because Jesus wasn't a teacher, right, by trade. He was, he was a teacher by the authority of God. He had a different level of anointing and authority. And so we want to make sure um, that we don't kind of water these gifts down to just natural ability, we actually want to see the Holy Spirit flowing through us. We want to be able to mark when his power's flowing through us. Because we know that the practice of generosity is required of all Christians. It's kind of the same as evangelism. Paul says, do the work of an evangelist, even if you aren't one. <laughs> right? Even if you don't have the, work, uh, the gift of evangelism, it doesn't release you from the practice. But we all know people who have the gift of evangelism, right? We had a family friend who his goal was to lead one person to Jesus every week. And he did that for three years straight. So then his goal was to lead one person to Jesus every day. And if you encountered him on any day of the week, he would share Jesus with you in a way that like scales fell off people's eyes. And if I did that, I'd get punched. Like if I was just on the street corner, I'm like, hey, I don't know why. I just, I don't have that gift. It would be awesome, but I don't have it. But we want to make sure we can... Um, kind of separate a little bit. So here's, here's the awkwardness. Jesus does this funny thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He says on one hand, he talks about generosity and giving. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? Be careful in how you give that you don't puff yourself up. In the very next passage, he says, let your good works shine before men that all people might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And we're all like, okay, how do those two things work together. Should I keep it secret or should I make it public? And we rarely talk about generosity. We rarely talk about specific acts because they become awkward. But I want to do just a little thought experiment real quick just to kind of activate us. Okay, so take out your notes app or if you've got a pen, pen and paper, I want you to write down just real quickly and it shouldn't be hard. What is the most generous thing anyone has ever done for you? What's the most generous thing another person has ever done for you. Somebody texted it to somebody else. Did you hear that? <laughs> Boom. They just said thank you. That was like, it's you, man. Isn't that awesome? Encouragement. The gift. It's flowing. All right, most generous thing someone's ever done for you. Second, I, wanna, I want you to write down what is the most generous thing you have ever done for somebody else? What's the most generous thing you've ever done for another person? Because when you think about those things, your heart just kind of tenderizes, right? You kind of go back and you remember oh, what generosity is like when you're on the receiving end and what generosity is like when you're on the, like, the giving side of it. And it hits different, right? This, this spiritual gift, when somebody has operated in that gift in your life and they've shown up, the Holy Spirit has put something in their heart and mind to do for you that you were like probably praying about, you needed, you were desperate, and it's just like, oh, can you believe that I'm so loved by God? 
Like he knows me, he loves me, he sees me, and he's working on my behalf. So the supernatural gift of giving, what, what is that? I would just say it's the, it's the supernatural motivation to live your life with this mentality of sharing. Where, where it's just like sharing to you becomes this way of uh, allowing God's love to pour through your life. And this is, this is specifically, um, mostly specifically with finances, but it can, it can be with possessions, right? It can be with things you, you both possessions you give away and possessions you share. It's, it's the act of opening your life up to other people and allowing other people to share. So like gleaning in the Old Testament wasn't giving your field away, it was ac- giving access to your field to other people to come and be blessed by it. It's the capacity to think, pray, and live with a generous spirit that defies the script of the world, right? That like literally stands in opposition. It's abundance versus scarcity. It's faith that gets activated to stand up and say, I refuse to come under this idea that there's not enough in the world and that if I share it, I lose. Like like financial uh, stuff is like a zero sum Game And it's this abundance mentality of God. So it's God's mentality. God is a God of abundance. It's him pouring out that idea of abundance into your heart and it gets expressed out of you. And the best example of this, right, is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So if you turn to there uh, uh, with me to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. And we're just going to kind of run through this example that Paul gives us. This is what it looks like. And I love that there's just such a clear picture in the New Testament of what does the gift of giving look like? Paul says this, and now brothers, uh, he's talking to the Corinthians, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Those aren't two things that you see connected very often, right? Extreme poverty and overwhelming joy, or overflowing joy and extreme poverty. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and spirit, speech and knowledge in complete earnestness and in your love for us see also that you excel in this grace of giving I love this we want you to know about the grace of God well the word grace in Greek is is charis c-h-a-r-i-s which is the same work word as gift spiritual gift so he's literally saying this gift of giving was poured out on an entire group of people isn't that beautiful At the same time, they were one heart, one mind, one soul. They heard a need and the Holy Spirit just took over. This generous spirit took over the Macedonians. And I love that it it, it shows that the gift of giving isn't dependent on your amount of resources. It can flow through people who have little and people who have much. 
Because right now we can kind of think, I think because there's so much information available to us these days about people who have large amounts of money, we see their giving and it's been made really public and we hear about the, the Warren Buffett pledge to give 50% of your money away and, and it's really interesting because like one of my favorite uh, TV shows is Mad Men and there's this, there's this statement in the middle of Mad Men when Don gets invited to like join the board of this company and they say, we, we want you to join the board of this nonprofit and he goes, why would I do that? It's like, all I want to do is business. And the guy literally says, philanthropy is the path to power <laughs> in this city. And you're like, ooh, okay. So that's why Jesus said, don't let your left hand. It's like, be careful, right? That you don't use your, your giving for power. And so we see that and we kind of like get a little bit of a fuzzy view that maybe, maybe there has to be like lots of resources at your disposal to have this gift. And, and Jesus says, no, look at the Macedonians. Out of their extreme poverty, this gift flowed through them. They gave as much as they could, and then they gave more. <laughs> and you're kind of like, what does that even mean? How did they give beyond their ability? But what he's saying is it doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on certainty. It comes directly from God. It's the exercise of faith. It, it's the idea that you get something in your spirit I guess you would call it your spirit mind. You get an idea that's generous and then you have faith to believe that that generous idea is the Holy Spirit and you act on it and you trust God with it, even in ways that it doesn't make sense. So this isn't dependent on ability. They actually gave beyond their ability because their giving was empowered by God, right? So everything that's empowered by God isn't dependent on our ability. It actually goes further. It goes beyond <clears throat> and I love that this, this gift, right, it expressed like itself in a willingness to give. I love they urgently pleaded us to give. They're like, will you let us give? Please, can we contribute? Because I bet you in some ways Paul was probably holding back with them because he knew they were impoverished. And yet they're like, no, 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 we, we want to participate. Will you let us give? It's every um, pastor's dream. Plead, can we give? You're like, I guess, sure, right? But isn't that beautiful? It's this thing that there's, and Paul talks about it right in chapter nine, cheerful giving, willing to give, not under compulsion, right? But saying like, oh, it's my heart's desire to give. And I love this Macedonian group of people, right? So do you remember in the book of Acts where Paul has a vision and it's the Macedonian man begging him to come to them with the gospel, Remember that story? He literally has a dream and it's this man from Macedonia. He's like, please bring the gospel to us. So I love that Paul responds to the Holy Spirit. He brings the gospel to the Macedonians. That's Philippi, that's Berea, that's Thessalonica. These incredible churches, they receive the gospel. God does these amazing things. And what do they do with their gratitude for salvation? They say, let us participate in this ministry. There's, there's uh, saints in Jerusalem who are poor, who are needy. Let us help them. Isn't that awesome? And I love that it's, it's, it's like a mix of, of uh, Jews in the diaspora and it's Gentiles who are saying, let us give to those folks in Jerusalem. We've never even met them. We'll never see them in our entire life. And yet there are brothers and sisters. Can we give? But I love this too, that the spiritual gift of generosity isn't marked just by financial generosity, but by relational generosity. Listen to what it says. It says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. 
They're like, their, their financial generosity was in a relational context. They're like, we're going to give ourselves to you and we're going to allow, allow our resources to flow to you and through you. So this isn't just about like cutting checks, right? It's not like, like spirit of generosity. If you're uh, generous with your finances and stingy with your person, <laughs> God's like, you're not becoming like me. God's like, I'm generous in all directions, in every way, in all things with who I am. I'm generous. And so I don't want you just to write generous checks. I want you to give your life generously to people. And when you do those two things together, the power of that's really amazing. When you give yourself not only like financially, but relationally. And so I love this kind of little process where you see the spiritual gift looks like giving yourself fully to God, giving yourself fully to God's work and the people who are called to lead that work. All right, and so this is something that's really key um, that, I, that I've learned in the last few years. And it, and it relates because sometimes, you know, the, these things get a little out of whack. We only give generously if, if we feel like we have a little bit of, of power or authority to dictate. Maybe what happens rather than just giving ourselves to God and giving ourselves to the people God has called to lead the things that he's led us to. That was a little bit of a weird sentence, but does that, does that make sense? So I, I've, I've come across this phrase that uh, I think I made it up, but uh, if you've heard it somewhere else, don't tell me because I like the idea that I made this up. Um, but it, it's this, and it's like this guiding value in my life now that it costs me so little to honor others in the things that God hasn't called me to lead. Does that make sense? Did you catch that? It costs me so little to honor people in the things that God has called them to lead and not me. Because <laughs> I'm like, has God called me to lead that? Nope, then my job is to honor them. That's it. It's, it's not to dictate, it's not to control, it's not to critique, my job is to honor and trust God that he can take care of anything that I think um, needs to change. And when I started doing that, friends, it's amazing how much favor God has poured out in my life as I have learned to honor people who are leading things that I'm not supposed to lead, I'm just called to support. And just because I'm a leader over here in this context does not mean I'm a leader over here in this context. That's, that's called doing the opposite of what Paul said. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Because I, I know a lot in this realm. I don't know very much in this realm. And so I just find, my, my goal in life is to find great leaders in all these places and serve them, support them, honor them, respect them, encourage them, resource them. And what's great too is I, I'm less busy than I would be if I was trying to control <laughs> all this stuff, trying to dictate all these things. And so the spiritual gift of giving starts to like well up in us and we get to bless and honor people both financially and relationally. And we get to just like lift them up in what God's called them to do. And we leave the rest to God, right? Now I love this, this is all through faith, right? Because the gifts operate through faith. So what's the result of this, right? What does God promise happens when you allow the Holy Spirit to do this? 
these promises that we talked about uh, in God. So 2 Corinthians 9 in verse 6, if you turn there real quick, here's Paul says, here's what happens when people allow this grace to flow through their life, when they have this gift from the Holy Spirit that is giving. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person is to give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, listen, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love all, 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 every. <laughs> it's like in every way, in all things, God is able. When you allow his grace to flow through you, you put the results onto God's character rather than depending on your character and your actions and your abilities. You actually entrust it to him. Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous, generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Isn't that beautiful? Like with them and they see everyone else, you're just so willing to share. And in their prayers for, the, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So why does God love a cheerful giver? Because God's a cheerful giver. <laughs> God loves it when his children display his character traits, right? Just like parents, whenever you see your kids do one of your good traits, you're like, oh, I mean, when the other traits come out, you're like, oh, man. Ugh. But when something good comes out, like when your kid cracks a joke for the first time, I was like, mm. they got it. It was like, that thing made sense, nailed the punchline. I was like, oh, it's so good, you know? And you're probably like, you're not that funny. But I think I am, I'm like, I thought it was like me. But God, it's his delight to see his children share his traits. But I love this. This passage says that we can let this get flow through us because God is able. He's able and he's willing and he's promised that he will. Isn't that beautiful? And so these acts of faith trust that God's able to make all these things abound in us, to us, through us, that God's willing and that he will. And the only way to see that he will is through faith. So I love this. What's the result? What happens when this gift flows through a group of people or through individuals? What you see is you see an increase. He says there's an increase of seed and an enlargement of a spiritual harvest. Two things go together. He said, if you will give what you have, I will increase what you have. And, and I, I know there's such a craze these days about prosperity gospel and it's like, spiritual McCarthyism, there's like a prosperity preacher around every tree. You're like, he might pop out and like, but these are God's words, friends. He says, he who supplies, I, I'm the supplier. And if you give generously, I will supply you with more. Right? Now the catch there is as long as you keep supplying. He basically is saying like, as long as your hand is open, I will keep placing things in your hand. And the moment your hand starts to close, it's not that I don't want to give you more. It's just that there's just less room, right? And if you close it completely, he's like, I just can't, 
I can't get anything else in there. So just keep your hand open and trust me to flow these things through you. But he also connects it to a spiritual harvest. But then he says, and this is just it. We have to deal with God's word. You will be made rich in every way. What does that mean? What if it actually means you will be made rich in every way? If he just means it, right? And, and what is rich? And I, I get that. If you've traveled the world, you'll know that almost everyone in this, this room right now is considered rich globally, right? If you make $35,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of earners in the world. I mean, if you guys watch the news right now, have you seen Sri Lanka right now? See people like literally hordes of people rushing the capital, tearing down the central bank because they're starving to death, right? So Paul says, like, look at this. I, I, I can take, like God will take care of you, but we have to like contextualize a little bit. But he says, listen, I can take care of you. That's what I hear about it. I, I'm, I, I feel like the good thing about growing up a pastor's kids, I, I never thought about being rich. So it's just like, well, my parents are pastors. We're, we're just always going to be poor. Our cars are going to break down. Like, you know, all the stories, you're just like, that's our fate in life. And so I don't read that and think like, oh, this is this big temptation. I just think like, God's so good to promise that he'll take care of us, right? Along the way. What happens after? It says that, that when you allow the gift of generosity to flow through you, God gets the praise, so that's also just a key indicator. If you're getting praise for your gifts, you've got to start to question what's operating here. Because when this thing happens, the Holy Spirit says that God starts to be praised. People say, look how good God is. Look how great Jesus is. And the last thing is something that everybody wants. It says, if you do this, people will pray for you. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, man, I want people praying for me. Like, I love when people pray for me. I need a lot of prayer. And so I'm just like, man, what a cool result, right? Okay, you got your Bible. We're just going to move real quick. Last one, last uh, passage. Philippians 1, right? So Paul says all of these things will happen. And in Philippians 1, he tells you the story of all things that happen. And Philippi, right, is a Macedonian church. They were the most generous contributors to this fund. And Paul says this. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. Remember he says people will thank God. Paul's like, I'm thanking God right now for you, for your generosity and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of, of Christ Jesus. Isn't that cool? I feel like if you're alive in that day, you're like, who do you want to pray for you? You'd probably be like, Paul. <laughs> Paul, could you pray for me? And he's like, I pray for you with joy when I think of you. What a beautiful thing. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ, right? Like gospel's getting advanced because of their generosity, because of 
of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So what's really fascinating, right? If you're in prison in the first century in a Roman prison, the only way you eat or drink is if people come and bring it to you. Like in those days, prisons, it wasn't three hots and a cot, right? It wasn't, you guys know what that is? translate. Yeah, you didn't get three hot meals in a bed, right? You, you got nothing unless your family or your friends brought it to you every single day. And what the palace guard is, they saw Christians caring for their brother in prison, that he was well, he was well supplied in prison. And everybody's like, people starve and die in prison. That's your lot. Nobody cares when you get in there, but the Christians, wow, look at how they love one another. They're here every day and they're caring for this man. Isn't that beautiful? So we see the fulfillment that these things are true in reality. They're not just true in concept. They're not just true in the abstract. We see it working in Paul's life. And then the final key is just um, for all of us, the supernatural gift of giving is possible because it's found in the nature of God. And this is really key because your view of God matters so much. What is God like? When I think about God, what do I think? And I think some of us need to hear this today, that God's not a miser. God's not stingy. God's not withholding. Um, God's not a punisher. Our Father in heaven, right? The Yahweh of the scriptures that we learn about in the Old Testament. Jesus, the Messiah, In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, the gift and promise of the Father, this God is generous beyond your wildest dreams. He's the most generous being in the universe. Take the most generous person who's ever lived apart from Jesus and it doesn't even, it's not even a drop in the bucket to the generosity of our Father. Right? And it says his nature, John 3, 16, for God so loved that he gave. His love expresses itself in giving. So he's constantly giving in all ways, in all things, at all opportunities. Part of God's unchangeable nature is this radical and overwhelming desire to bless people outside of himself. And so this God who made 750,000 species of insects... (laughs) 400,000 species of flowers, 200,000 species of edible plants, 10,000 species of birds, 200 billion galaxies, and 200 billion trillion stars. We love and serve a God of excess, a God of abundance, a God who throws parties that go above and beyond. And I was like, is there more? Oh my goodness. He just, just keeps coming. The God who made steak possible. Guys, God made that steak, that tomahawk ribeye that I love. I mean, I just like, I just glory in God when I eat that steak. I'm just like, he's so generous. So generous. This could not have existed. He could have just lived in a world without steak. And some people choose to, and I pray for you. Man, life would be so boring without steak. This God, he knows your name and he loves you and his desires for your flourishing, for your wholeness, for your health, his desire that you would be richly provided for while you're here. 
And more than that, this God not only desires to richly provide for you here, but there is a place we will go someday with him. Jesus goes, I go to prepare a room for you. And in that place, there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more sickness. There's no more resistance. There's no world or flesh or devil in this place. And he could have just left it there, but he said, no, no, no. beyond that, I'm actually going to come to you and I'm going to provide for you here as well because I love you. He desires that you be richly provided for. I'm going to invite the band back up. Can I just give you three things that you can do both, I think, to activate this gift if you're like, I really, Lord, I want to I operate in this spiritual gift of giving. Or if you already have it and you're operating in it, just to give you like kind of like, you know, I love Bill Johnson says, he said like victory is gained, victory is maintained. And I, I just believe that. If God gives you victory in an area, don't, don't, you know, get lazy and let, you know, like, no, 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 maintain it. Do the things to protect the thing that God's given you. Don't let it go. And these are super simple. Be generous with God. Be generous with others and be generous with yourself. In that order. Our danger is we get those out of order, right? We're generous with ourselves, and then if there's much left over, we'll be generous with kind of other, like, no, no, but God's mission on the earth, his people, which is the church, be generous with her. Give generously to what God's doing on the earth. Two, as you walk through the earth and you encounter others, be generous. Right? Somebody asks for your cloak, give them your tunic too. If somebody asks you to go to mile, go to. If somebody asks you for a dollar on the street, Jesus says, give to all who ask of you. If you have a dollar and somebody asks you for one, just part with it. The Bible says, he who lends to the poor lends to God. It's literally entrusting your return. You entrust your returns in the markets to all sorts of people. God says, entrust some of that to me and just see what happens and let go of what that person will do with that dollar. Guys, if you're worried about it, can I just, you know who was worried about a dollar in the 12 disciples? Judas. Judas was like, oh, we broke that jar of oil. That could have been given to the poor. He was the person most concerned with the smallest amounts. And Jesus is like, like my father owns everything. Don't worry about generosity, about what will, like what's happening. Don't, don't be stingy in, the, in these things. He's like, be generous with God. Be generous with others. Be generous with yourself. First Timothy 6 says this, command those who are rich in this present world, that's mostly all of us, right? To not be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. Listen to this, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God provides you with what you have to be generous with him, be generous with others, and then to enjoy what he's placed in your hands, right? So so the greatest way to enjoy or to bless the giver of gifts is to enjoy the gifts he gives you. So if he's given you a home, enjoy it. If he's given you a car, enjoy it. If you get to take a vacation, worship, glory in God. Sit on that beach and say, God, you're so good. I never thought I'd be able to experience something like this. If you get to go to Hamilton on Broadway, amen, sit in those seats and go like, oh, God's so good. Don't be like, ah, oh, you shouldn't spend that money. Ah, oh, you can give it to the boy. Like, no, no, no. Like, bless God with everything you have. Psalm 36, they feast on the abundance of your house. <laughs> on the abundance of your house. Amen. So why don't you stand?
on your feet. And this morning, um, would you just close your eyes and just like maybe just for a second, we're going to worship and we're going to have a chance to pray. You might need prayer this morning around finances, around generosity, around struggles. But I want to encourage you this morning to be like the Macedonians. Allow the grace of God, this indescribable, indescribable gift to radically soften your heart towards God. Let the joy of salvation well up. Acknowledge that generosity is an unchangeable attribute of God and refuse to accuse God of being ungenerous or unconcerned. Meditate on his generosity. Memorize scripture around who God is, about his abundance. Get that scarcity mindset out of your life. And then you act in faith on the wisdom that God's given us through his word. Obey the Holy Spirit promptly on every generous thought get a generous thought, do it right away. And just watch what God does. See how he blesses it. It could be the smallest act. It could be a $10 gift card to somebody. And you never know. That just like, oh, just open them up. Amen. So let's pray. God, we love you. We bless you. We just worship you this morning. We thank you that you're generous. You are generous. You're abundant. You're excessive in your love for us and how you richly provide for us. God, we, we have everything we need and in the body we have more than we could ever imagine. As we share with each other, God, there's no reason that there would ever be needy among us because we have enough and more than enough and it's because of you. You brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey with cities and houses that we didn't build and vineyards that we didn't plant, God, and we have access to abundance. Not so that we can be selfish or hoard it, but so that we can live open-handed, God, being generous back to you, being generous with the others, and enjoying the life that you've given us. So, God, I pray that you would come and just shift our hearts on this topic. Pray that you would pour out the spiritual gift of giving in this church, that we would be like the Macedonians, Lord, that we would be urgently pleading to get involved, God, in your kingdom cause on the earth, that we would use our resources to see the gospel advanced in our generation. So we love you. We bless you. Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for sending your spirit so that your generous nature live in us. We just receive it today with glad hearts in your name. Amen.